listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your personal guitar scientist with 25 years of experience building and repairing guitars. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. Greetings. I will read the listener-submitted questions, and Eric will try to answer them the best he can, drawing on his experience as a professional luthier. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of good questions. Questions about strings, questions about making... uh, that Paul Reed Smith style binding where mm. there's not really binding, but it's just a paint difference. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dan Electro questions, all kinds of questions that I don't have in front of me because Melissa's going to read them off of Instagram. <laughs> I put out a call today and man, did you guys ever answer? Yeah. We got like 15 questions today. Really? That many on Instagram? Uh, Maybe eight on Instagram, but yeah, then... Yeah, and then the ones that were submitted last minute. Yeah, we were a little low on questions, so Melissa put out the call, and, and here they are. So thank you, everybody. Plenty of questions. We, mm-hmm. we have a call, too, as well, that cool. we'll take. What's new around here? Uh, you know... <laughs> Uh, not a lot. Not a lot. We haven't left the house since uh, about uh, February. March fifteenth. So, no, um, you know, every, every, it's a weird time. Everybody. Oh yeah, everybody knows that. Having a weird time. I've been working on a lot of custom guitars and a lot of custom pickups. I've had a lot of orders for pickups. So thanks for that, mm-hmm. guys. If 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 that's uh, in, from any listeners. Appreciate that. Yeah, and I've had a lot of custom strap orders as well, mm. and I have a feeling that it's a lot of you guys listening. So it probably is. We Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. We do. I feel bad. I promised it, like a mini shop tour on my Instagram page, and I did not deliver. I didn't. You know, it's not for lack of trying, though. Uh, I I did actually try. Um, the problem is that the internet, and I don't think it's. I mean. We don't have the the world's greatest internet here at the at the Daw Ranch, but <laughs> uh, I think that everybody's internet has has yeah. slowed to a crawl because everybody's on it. Yeah, I assume the whole it's like when I when the internet is chugging along, you're trying to watch YouTube videos <laughs> and it's buffering every two minutes. Uh, it's like the whole it's like the whole country is. Just creaking like the yeah, like the Titanic. Um, so. <laughs> it's 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 disconcerting. For, rivets, for rivets sure. snapping. I'm hearing rivets pop as the little <laughs> as the little wheel spins on the YouTube. Speaking of the Titanic, uh, <laughs> did you know? Well, uh, Melissa laughed because Eric's y- obsessed with the Titanic. Listeners may not know. He loves it. I wouldn't say that I'm obsessed. I I would say that I'm a an amateur uh, maritime disaster scholar. <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, and the day that this podcast is going to go out, which is tomorrow, April 15th, is the mm, anniversary yes. of the sinking of the Titanic. One, 108-year anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. Is that what you were just going to say? Sorry. Sorry, I didn't like I wanted it. to say it. <laughs> no, actually, I wasn't going to say that, but that's a good point. Uh, but... If you're, if you happen to be locked down, like most of the world is, and you're looking for something to watch, uh, 
the original Titanic movie. Now you're all you're all familiar with the James Cameron and mm-hmm. uh, Leonardo, DiCaprio. Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, Little Kim. Oh, it's Kate Winslet. Little Kim. I don't know. I don't know who that lady is. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, we're all familiar with the modern Titanic movie, mm-hmm. which certainly has its uh, moments. Mm. Cinematically, it's yeah. impressive. Yeah. Uh-huh. Not really the greatest uh, story. I mean, the story is the the Titanic sinking, right. right? Right. We didn't need to invent a Leonardo DiCaprio love story. Right. Anyhow, my point is, did you know that there's an older movie about the sinking of the Titanic that's actually way better yeah. than the modern version? It's great. It was done in 1958, I believe. It's called A Night to Remember. And let me tell you, it'll make you cry a few times. It's riveting. It's available for free on YouTube and on Daily Motion. <laughs> so if you if you just type it in, a night to remember. Uh, it's a great hour and a half long, two hours, I don't know, movie about the Titanic sinking. It's black and white. It's really well yeah, done, I think, and it's one of the more historically accurate uh, things to be done on the Titanic. Other than they they didn't know at the time that the the boat split in half while it was still on the surface. So as it depicts the sinking of the Titanic, it just shows it submerging in one piece. When Now we know. Yeah. Because at the time they made this movie, they hadn't found the wreck. The wreck was discovered in the 80s. What else do you know about the Titanic? Wait, is this a podcast about the Titanic? It is now. <laughs> it is now. Anyway... Just, uh, you know. So we were talking throwing about, that out there. are you going to put a shop tour up? Yeah, the problem is uh, that I've I tried to record a bunch of small segments and then upload them to Instagram. And I think I tried to do them all at once. And either the internet seized up or my tabs, my tablet. I, w- I always want to call my tablet a tab. It's not a tab. <laughs> a tab. It's a tablet. My tab seized up. Sounding real cool. It's amazing that I have a tablet. You have to understand, I don't even have a smartphone, and the only reason I got a tablet was so that I could listen to podcasts easily. The only reason he has a cell phone is because I made him get one. That's true, when actually. we When we met in 2008, he didn't even have a cell phone. No, I didn't want one. But when you meet a girl and she says, oh, that's a deal breaker. No, it <laughs> you're was... Gonna need, you're going to need a cell phone. I'm going to need to text you. So, yeah. Especially since we were like long distance relationship for the first several months. Mm-hmm. But I had a landline. You could have called me. Could have called you anytime between 7 and p.m. You could have sent me electronic mail on the computer. <laughs> you don't have to text. <laughs> you could have written me a nice letter. I did. Pardon me, I had to click something. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, what was I saying? Oh, so when I tried to post a, a tour of my shop, uh, it, it just wouldn't work. The internet was so slow, and it just I, it, it wouldn't load, and then it wouldn't load, and it wouldn't load some more, and I waited hours, and I finally just... Uh, I finally just canceled it, deleted it, you know? Hmm. I'll try again. Try again. I'll try again. I, yeah. I just felt bad because I promised that last episode and I never did it. Here's some other Instagram news. Uh, the Fret Files podcast now has its own Instagram account. Mm. And there are exactly zero posts. And it's so very exciting. Well, it sounds so interesting. People, I'm sure, are going to flock right to it. Yeah. We have 30 followers already. Yeah. Uh, and that's at Fret Files Podcast. I don't know why uh, Melissa has done this, but she started a an, an Instagram Fret Files. So I gotta tell you, I spend a lot of time on the internet now. I think everybody does. That's why the internet <laughs> is so slow, creaking like the Titanic after striking an iceberg. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. The COVID ice iceberg. Okay. Let's do some questions, shall we? Yeah. I think we've we got a call. call? Let's, yeah, let's hold take on. That See, call. I'm, I've, 
the way I'm situated here, I can't uh, get to my computer. Okay, we're going to take a call. Hello, this is Crash. I've lately been listening to Footboard Journal uh, YouTube videos, specifically with Bill Frizzell. And in the notes, it mentions that his guitar is heavily modified. One of the modifications being a Gibson scale length neck. So my question is, what are your thoughts about building a T-style guitar with a non-standard Fender scale? Thanks. And, uh, you know, let's be careful out there. Oh, yeah. Bye. Absolutely. Thanks, Crash. Thanks, Crash. Uh, I've ac- actually, I've worked on that very guitar that you're talking about. So I think I've worked on almost every one of Bill's guitars. At least that's what he told me last time I saw him. He's probably bought new guitars since I've seen, I haven't seen him for a couple of years. He moved and I moved. Well, we we were both in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Oh, he moved too? Where did he move? He moved to New York. What? Yeah. Did I you know that? know that? About the same time, just a little bit before we moved to uh, Idaho. He moved to New York. Yeah. He's a real nice guy. He is. He's a friend of ours. Good old Bill. He's such a sweet guy. You just have no idea. Uh, anyhow, um, yeah, that particular Tele-style guitar has a, a short-scale neck. It's the kind of thing that, you know, I think nine players out of ten that would that picked up that guitar would never notice. Really? Well, it's just it's just a matter of a... I mean, it's just a tiny difference. Interesting. It's not like it's a. It's, it's not like it's the difference between a bass and a and a guitar, mm-hmm. or a guitar and a ukulele, or something. We're talking about just a a tiny difference here. So, like a standard uh, Fender scale is twenty five and a half inches, and the uh, like a standard Gibson scale length is twenty four and three quarter. So, you know, there's enough difference there that. Especially if you know and if you're focusing on it, right? Mm-hmm. But if you just if you just picked that guitar up, you you might not even notice that. So it's not a huge difference. The only time you really notice it is you know if you're if you're making longer reaches, right? Uh, so I you know I kind of like the um, the shorter scale length for some things, but. Uh, I don't know. I like I like the Fender style. I like the Fender scale length. So it's just a it's just it's just one of those minute differences. You know, it's like the difference between a Gibson and a Fender. There's just a little scale length difference. So, um, but if you have small hands, or if you like the if you like the um, the uh, the smaller scale length, then you might you might like the smaller scale length of a Fender on a Fender, but, you know, Fender made plenty of smaller scale length guitars. Just the Fender, the the Telecaster and the Stratocaster are the full length, but, and and a Jazzmaster, a Jaguar is is short scale, shorter scale. So, okay, yeah, the shorter scale. Mm -hmm. Okay. Music Master, Duosonic, Mm -hmm. those are all, those are all shorter scale. Bronco, uh, Mustang, are you sure you're not naming cars? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Okay, good. Should we take some some questions here? Some, yes. Some emails? Let's do it. Let's do it. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Hi, Eric. I have a geek question that I thought you might be able to help me answer. What makes an electric guitar sound like a piano? Not sure how to use words to describe the sound, but similar to if you pluck a grand piano string. Does that make sense? I have an old Gaia tone very similar to the one you just worked on, and it rings out wonderfully when amplified and when not amplified. Sorry to say that it has a very narrow neck and string spacing. Ugh. Also, my 52 LP did not have the piano quality, but when I put the simple bone bridge on it, the tone became much clearer and with more depth. You have worked on thousands, so I thought you might be able to point me in the right direction for my search of the Holy Grail. Thanks. That's from Russ B. Thanks, Russ. Russ is a friend of mine. 
up there in the state of Washington. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess he's talking about sustain and just a certain tonal characteristic. I would assume so. I don't. I don't know. Uh, you know, d- describing it as the sound of a piano. I mean, I. I just assume. I. Yeah. I mean, I hear what I hear in my mind. What you're saying, but yeah. Uh, in my mind, it's um, sustain. Well, and it's something I've talked about on the show a lot before. I mean, a lot of it's a lot of it's wood. A lot of it's in the pickups. Uh, it can be in the just in the way that you pluck the string mm-hmm. right but there's there's an x factor right i mean and the biggest factor in, in in my opinion is just how things resonate so any any little loose part that has contact with the string can suck up vibrations rather than rather than deflect the string vibration you know anything from that could be tuners or frets or the nut or any part of the uh bridge or tailpiece any wiggle on little parts like that, they absorb string vibration. I've talked about it on the podcast before. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the more solid all the components are, the more resonance and the more the more sustain you're going to get. Um, I mean, even frets get loose, or they can start out loose if the job's not properly done. So, mm-hmm. you know, as the string vibrates, any tiny little bit of wiggle in a loose fret absorbs that string energy and it saps your tone and sustain. So... There's a lot of factors like that. But, I mean, look at two pneumatic bridges. We just talked about this recently. Those things have a dozen little ill-fitting parts, right? Mm. And it's all a tone suck, you know? I mean, you look at a tele bridge, fewer parts, and it it all fits together better, in my opinion. I mean, it, it's no wonder why I'm a tele guy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So nuts should be glued in, frets should be glued in. This all helps. That's my opinion. Uh, bridges and saddles should be used that have as as little wiggle to them as possible, and the stouter everything is, the better. But sometimes, I mean, like I say, there's an X factor, and sometimes you can do all of that, and you still have a guitar that that doesn't knock your socks off. So it can be. I mean, it's like chasing a imaginary tone dragon. But those are my thoughts on it all. So I hope that helps. Thanks, Russ. Thanks, Russ. Hi, guys. Hope you're all doing well. I figured being under a stay-at-home order was good enough excuse for writing in. This is more of amusing than anything genuinely serious. I was a longtime user of NYXL 11 through 49 gauge strings on my telly because I was a follower of the light strings are for wimps school of thought. I heard Stevie Ray Vaughan mention that, allegedly. And of course, he was famous for using super heavy strings. I was considering moving up to 12s and ended up watching a video from Rick Beto, where they compared the sounds of 11s, 10s, 9s, and 8s. To my surprise, I liked the sound of the super light gauge strings the most. This led me to think, why was I a blind follower of the SRV school of thought? I don't want to be that kind, I don't want that kind of tone, and I don't even listen to him all that much. What are your thoughts on string gauges and people blindly following Stevie and playing super heavy strings for no reason? I mean, BB King, play- BB King played eights and nobody says his tone is garbage or weak. Also, you worked on Jimmy Vaughn's guitar once upon a time, right? Did he use super he- heavy strings too? I know, long-winded, but I have a little extra time to wonder out loud. <laughs> Thanks and best wishes to you and yours. That's from Juan... From Idaho Falls. That's oh, yeah. That one. Buddy Juan. Mm-hmm. That one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Howdy, Juan. Uh, I tell you, it's it's something that, I mean, I have I went through this as well. I used to use 12s a long time ago. Uh, I don't anymore. I usually use 10s or 11s now. But, um, yeah, heavy strings have a certain tone, and light strings have a little different tone. But it's... Um, it's it's like it's just like anything else. I you never really listen to a record and and say to yourself, "Oh, it sounds like he's using 12 through 52 uh Diodario XLs with a wound third string." I say that all the time. Um, you know, but you might be able to hear, I mean, you can definitely hear in the vibrato when a guy's using real light strings, you can hear that. And when you listen to 
if you if you're thinking about it, you listen to Stevie Ray Vaughan, you can you can hear that he's using fat strings. But um, yeah, it's all over the map. I, yeah, and I did work on Jimmy Vaughan's guitar. He was using uh, eleven gauge flat wounds, I think, if I remember right. Hmm. He used flat wounds, but with a with a uh, a plain third, not a wound third. And I've worked on I worked on Billy Gibbons guitars. He was using eights with super high action, right? With su- super high action, super light strings. That's right. Hmm. You know, so. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the bottom line is use what you like. And the great thing about strings is they're cheap. They're so cheap and you change them often enough that if you try nines and you don't like them, then go up a little higher. Um, I just tend to like, I like to hit the low E like a, like plucking a piano to go back to Russ's question, (laughs) right? I like to wham on that low E sometimes and it just doesn't work as well with a light string. So I prefer a little heavier string, you know. And I like the I'm just used to the way that they bend. It, if you're if you bend a lot and you and you use a certain gauge and you're used to that and then you change, all of a sudden the tension's different. So you go to bend a note and you bend it way sharp. Mm-hmm. Because because you're used to more tension. So it'll just feel different. Yeah. That's another thing, going back to scale length, that affects the tension of the strings. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, it's all, it just, it just depends on what you like. There's no right or wrong, there's no right or wrong answer when it comes to strings. The only thing is, if you change gauge, you typically have to do some adjustments on the guitar. So you might need an, an action, an intonation adjustment, you might need a little tweak on a truss rod. But, um, yeah, man, that, absolutely. And I think it's something that people get in a rut about. People get in a rut and they're like, they've, they've chosen their string. This is my string. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to use this string forever and ever. And nothing's ever going to stop me from doing that. And I think that's a mistake. I have electric guitars where I've got a r- real heavy set on there, like 12s. And I've got guitars where I've got uh, flat wounds on them, and I have some of my guitars. I've, I've, I think I've got one, at least one, with a set of nines on there. So, you know, I, go, I. You're all over the map. It's kind of nice to have something different, and it depends on what you're going to do with it, too, right? I mean, yeah. if you're going to play slide, or if you're going to play. So one, I think the answer is to get like six guitars. Yeah, right. And put different strings on all of them. When it comes to acoustic guitars, that's something that I kind of stick a gauge and I, I pick a gauge and stick with it. What's your gauge on acoustics? 12s. For what reason? 12 to 53. Um, because the, there's really only one step heavier, and that's the 13s, uh, generally speaking. And I like, with 12s, they're just heavy enough to make the guitar resonate. Mm-hmm. but they're light enough to play and get around on. Cool. They're easier to play than 13s. Yeah. Nice. Well, thanks. Thanks, Juan. Good to hear from you. Hi, Eric. I hope this email finds you well. This is more of a guitar builder question. How would one create that faux binding effect that PRS does? I li- I'd like to dye a flame maple top, but obviously tape is not enough to stop some bleed. I'd mm-hmm. like to get that nice, clean edge. Thanks for your time. That's from Bill. Thanks, Bill. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm sure it's done with tape. But you're probably thinking of, of rubbing on a stain, and I would say probably the way they do it, and I don't know for sure. And if, if somebody knows, I've never done it, so I don't know. I'm guessing here. But if somebody knows for certain, and if I'm wrong, then shoot me an email. I'm sure you will. But my guess is they they seal it first, right? So you've got a natural mm-hmm. you've got natural wood. They do whatever prep work and sanding and then seal it and then tape it. And then I assume they're spraying on a stain. So what color is this faux binding? It's natural wood color? Well, yeah. So you've got a stained 
wood look. It's transparent stain. Mm-hmm. And and there's no binding, but it looks like there's binding because the there's a, a strip of natural colored wood where there is no stain around the edge. Interesting. And I'm 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 sure that they've done that by masking and then spraying. It's that's gotta be how they do it. I I mean I'm just guessing. I have no idea. Yeah. I would assume so. That's my guess, Bill. Uh yeah, if somebody knows different than that, I mean, I'm I'm trying to think of another way they could do it. I guess they, I suppose they could spray it and then scrape, but oh, that's that seems insane. Yeah, I'm sure they're doing it. it mu- with, yeah, they're masking it, it. Yeah, I'm sure they are. Just experiment. You know, try mm-hmm. it on some scrap wood first. Yep. <clears throat> Thanks, Bill. Hello, Eric and Melissa. Thanks for keeping us all sane during the lockdown. Oh, if you're counting on me for that, then yeah. you're looking, looking, for the, looking at the wrong guy. Uh, I have a couple questions pertaining to Les Pauls. Number one, I've purchased an LP body from the Stratosphere website and I'm outfitting it with aged hardware from Cream Tone. The ABR1 they sell is unslotted, and though they will slot it the best they can, they recommend buyers slot the saddles after it is on the guitar. Do you often see tunomatic saddles needing to be slotted off-center? If so, how would you recommend going about it? Does one need nut files? Hmm. Um, yeah, it happens. Uh, you know, I like to I like to slot those in the center um, as much as possible. It looks funny to me when things are off-center. Um, but assuming that the guitar was put together properly and everything is centered, then you, you know, I would say almost, I mean, I would say 90% of the time, um, you're, you're going to slot a tunomatic each saddle in the center. There's a, there's a little bit of a, a spread because you want a tiny bit more spacing between the bass strings than the treble strings. I do that with Stumax string spacing ruler, but it's just, I mean, we're talking about, I mean, pretty minuscule differences here, but yeah, typically somewhere in the middle. And, uh, yes, you can do that with, um, nut files Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because each slot is a different width. Cool. Uh, in his second question, on most wiring schematics I've found for Les Paul's 50, Les Paul 50s wiring, all four pot casings are grounded together in a U shape. Is this correct? Doesn't this make a ground loop once the two output jacks join at the toggle switch? Or do people not ground the switch? Thanks again for all the great work. That's from Isaac from Salt Lake. Thanks, Isaac. You read that a little bit funny. Did I? You said jacks, but he didn't, it doesn't say jacks. Oh. Doesn't this make a ground loop once the two outputs join at the toggle switch? Oh, sorry. I'm putting words into people's mouths. That's okay. Uh, Or do people not ground the switch? No, you do ground the switch, and you do ground all the pots. You can do it in a U formation like they show on the schematics. That's fine. Uh, People worry about ground loops, and it is a legitimate concern in an active uh, electronics situation. So like in an amp or, you know, a radio or anything like that. Yeah, you have to worry about ground loops. But a guitar, a passive circuit, a ground loop is not a thing. You're not going to get the problems that a ground loop brings. So don't worry about it. Ground loops are just, they're not a consideration in in guitar wiring. Cool. Thanks, Isaac. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Question for you. I own a few acoustic guitars, one of which being an older Eastman OM spruce top slash mahogany back and sides. My friend has the exact same model of guitar. However, at one point, mine sustained a drop and the damage caused some lacquer checking. No wood cracks or bracing issues, luckily. I noticed that after the lacquer checking, my my guitar sounded much more open and resonant than my friend's guitar of the exact same model. Would there be a reason, or do you believe lacquer checking would change the sound? Do you think it makes a difference on electric, too? Hmm. Best, that's from Alec, and I'm not even going to attempt your last name. Alec M. Alec M. Thanks, Alec. I don't... I've I've never... No, I've never believed that lacquer checking changes the sound. 
It's, I just don't think it does. Um, I wonder, you know, I wonder if it's just perception that you thought that it sounded better or if I'm trying to think why it would sound. Well, I wonder, <laughs> did it, had you compared sounds before you dropped it and got the lacquer checking? Because maybe it just always sounded better. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, a long time ago, a customer bought a guitar at a guitar store I worked at once, and uh, he was just delighted with it. It's an expensive guitar. He loved it, loved the way it sounded, you know, there in the shop. So he bought it, put it in the case, picked up the case, and the guitar tumbled out. Oh. He had forgotten to, to, latch, to it. latch it. Oh. And uh, this was a nice vintage acoustic Martin. Right? Just tumbled on ba boom boom boom. Tumbled onto the floor and made the made the string sound, you know. And we all just very sheepishly looked at each other and he, he picked it up and put it in the case and was like, Yeah, everything everything's fine. He get, looked at it, it's fine. You know. He was embarrassed. I mean Yeah. It it he he hadn't latched the yeah. case. Anyhow, he comes back a few days later and said when this guitar fell, it just it knocked the mojo out of this guitar. It doesn't Aww. it doesn't do what it did before, you know. And I said, "Well, let's look it over, you know." I mean, if that's true, there's got to be a reason for that. And so, I mean, I spent a lot of time looking at this guitar. There's no there was not a mark on it. There was no loose braces. There was no anything. It was I mean, I I will always believe that it was in his mind, and maybe he had some buyer's remorse. I don't know. But perception, right? Wow. Is a killer. And as my buddy Nat likes to say, we 90% of what we hear is done with our eyes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> right? Nat, we miss um, you. And so maybe, uh, maybe now your guitar just has extra mojo, and so you think it sounds better. Mm-hmm. I hate to, I hate to suggest that, but it's possible, <laughs> right? It is possible. Thanks, Alec. Hello, Melissa and Eric. I hope the dog clan is getting through the lockdown without too many problems. I recently picked up a Dan Electro fifty nine M. NOS, new old stock, and I'm finding that I'm not a big fan of the stacked volume and tone arrangement, especially with the tone on top. I've heard the OEM wiring is a little on the cheap side anyway, so I don't mind getting it. Any advice on what you've seen work better or any warnings you can give before I open it up? Thanks and congratulations on 100 online performances. Thanks. That's from Dan. Thank you, Dan. Dan Electro is a is a perfect guitar for a guy named Dan. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the same thing. Um, I'm with you. I hate those stacked tone. And as much as I love Dan Electros, and I do, I own three. Mm-hmm. And uh, nary a one of them has the stacked volume and tone knob. Because you've removed it. Uh, well, in one case, it's a it's a bass, and it only has a single pickup, and mm-hmm. so. It only has a single knobs, volume and tone. Uh, my other one started out life as a single pickup. It's a a a uh, U U one. Oh yeah, so it's a single pickup, single mm-hmm. cutaway. It started out life as a single pickup, and then I put a Telecaster bridge on it and a Telecaster bridge pickup in it, and added mm-hmm. some wiring there, but. Um, yeah, it has a volume and tone, just like a Telecaster would. And then my third one is, uh, it's another mongrel project that I'm, that's not even done yet, but again, a volume and a tone, uh, stock, they use a 100 K. So you, you could try that 100 K or 250 K. Don't, don't go anything more than 250 K. They start to sound too bright. Mm-hmm. The 100K is nice if you want that vintage sound that the Dan Electros have. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I would do the same thing, especially on a reissue where it doesn't matter. You're you're really not tinkering with a guitar that has any, you know, vintage value to it. So absolutely. 
you can swap those out. Just take out the... Uh, is that... The, they have a... It, the model is NOS? It's not like new old stock from the 50s? That's not what that means? It's a marketing thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a new guitar. They're, <sighs> they're calling it an NOS. That makes me mad. I know. Because it's not an NOS. I... And they can... I hear you. I, I, I'm with you on that. Okay. I, I don't like... I was confused as to everything you were talking about. I'm like, yeah. a new old... I'm sorry, a what? Yeah, that's a new guitar. Yeah, okay. Yeah, this is All a right. this is a reissue nude and electro. But yeah, take those concentric pots out of there and put just a standard rock and roll normal pot, right? And the fun thing is you get to look for cool knobs now, too, because... <laughs> The old knobs aren't going to work anymore. Yeah. Right? That's what she said. Yeah. I don't know how, what that means. <laughs> Should we take a break? Yeah, let's do it. Before we do, I got to remind you, this episode of the Fret Files podcast is brought to you by Apex Coffee Roasters. It's it's so good. We The last time we read you this commercial, we had not tried it. But now we have tried it, and it's literally the best coffee I've had in... 10 years. It's so good. You guys, it's if you're so a coffee good. snob like me, and I'm a coffee snob, uh, this, you know, th- there's, there's, there's gourmet coffee, right? Mm. And you buy that and it's good. And you just think, wow, this is the best ever. And then you try something that just bl- knocks your socks off. Yeah. This coffee absolutely blows me away. It's so good. Based in Waco, Texas, Apex Coffee Roasters. Search the globe for the best coffee beans available. They roast them in-house to unlock the natural aromas and flavors that make each cup an individual experience. You can order it online, right? Because mm-hmm. nobody's leaving their house. Yep. If you're out of coffee, go to apexcoffeeroasters.com. Fret Files listeners can use the promo code PINUP at checkout to receive 10% off. That's P-I-N-U-P, PINUP. ApexCoffeeRoasters.com. Hey, life happens. Coffee helps. Apex Coffee. Hey, guitar nerds. You probably already know that I make custom leather guitar straps. All of my straps are handcrafted from design all the way to completion. You can see examples of my past work on my Instagram account. That's at MelcoLeather. Visit MalcoLeather.com now to get free shipping on orders of $35 or more within the U.S. That's MalcoLeather.com. M-E-L-C-O Leather.com. If you're at all curious about my guitar repair services or my custom guitars, you can check out my website, ericdaw.com. That's more the repair side of things. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. I would love to help you with that tricky repair or restoration. You know, maybe you don't have somebody in your area, or maybe you've got a very valuable guitar that you don't want to trust to just anybody. And the guitars that I make are at pinupcustomguitars.com. That's pinup, like pinup girl, P-I-N-U-P. I offer worldwide service. Uh, on repairs people send me repairs from all over the country and uh, well even internationally and I definitely send guitars all over the world so if you're curious about what I do and want to learn more that's how to check it out ericdaw.com and pinupcustomguitars.com Hi Eric I'm about to lacquer my first solid maple fender style neck and was wondering about the order of things should I install frets before I spray the finish I'm assuming so but should I try to mask each little fret off or just spray over the frets the finish is going to get all over the metal part of the frets and that can't be good to you do you lacquer the frets and then scrape the finish off the frets after it's cured seems like a lot of work How about the nut? Do you install a nut blank before or after the finish is sprayed? Thanks. That's from Ben. Thank you, Ben. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Solid maple neck. You you fret it first. I also put the nut in first, right? Then spray it. And then after spraying it, yeah, you you want to remove the, uh, the lacquer from the frets. It's really not as much trouble as it sounds like you can make it you can make it labor intensive Mm -hmm. 
But uh, the way I do it is I have a little, I have a little metal strip that has a slot in it. You put over the fret, and just the fret pokes out. Mm -hmm. Right. And I take a little polishing wheel on a Dremel, and that lacquer just polishes right off the fret, real easy. And you want to polish the frets anyway, right? Yeah. So it's it's really no trouble. You can get the little the little uh, fingerboard guard fret protector thing from Stuart McDonald or from probably from anywhere. Do you know what it's called so they can search for uh, it? No, I do not. <laughs> it's just a little piece of metal with a slot in it and the fret sticks out mm-hmm. and it, you know, you can find it easily. Yeah. Find it, Ben. And then um, a little, just one of those little, you know, polishing wheels on my Dremel. Here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. You say you install the nut. You, do you just install a blank? Yeah. Do you cut, so then you cut the nut once everything's assembled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just have a, a nut installed into the wood, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, then lacquer over it, but uh, it's not slotted yet. I don't, okay. I don't slot it until I'm stringing the guitar up. And then do you polish the lacquer off the nut, or do you leave the lacquer on the nut? Yeah, generally, I you know, so it's lacquered over. Then you slot it, and then you have to kind of sand it down to a certain level. Oh, okay. So it's no longer lacquered. I see. Yeah. You know, Interesting. By the way, Fender, G&L, you know, these kind of companies that, that do solid maple fretted necks um, do the same thing. They usually don't take the lacquer off. So you get a new one, and it has lacquer over the frets, and then it just chips off as you play. And it's really kind of annoying. and Yeah. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah. Well, thanks, Ben. Hi, guys. Some simple questions. How often should strings be changed? How often should a rosewood neck be oiled? Do I need to oil my tuning machines and other parts? What moving parts on a standard electric guitar need to be oiled? And if so, what kind of oil do you use for this? Mm. Thanks. That's from Glenn. Glenn. Uh, how often should strings be changed? It depends on how often you play. Once a month is not too often if you're playing a lot. Some, you know, some people change their strings even more than that. Well, uh, I have guitars that I haven't changed the strings on for over a year. So, you know, your results, uh, your mileage may vary here, but um, certainly before they get all corroded and yeah. And gummy, right? There you go. Y- you know, fresh strings uh, yeah, some people sound have better. Acid sweat. I know. Some people can roast a set of strings just in an instant. But fresh strings uh, sound better, to me anyway, mm-hmm. and they intonate better. So um, I like to change strings relatively often, especially... I don't anymore, but when I was gigging, yeah, certainly. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Oh, wait, wait, we didn't finish all the questions here. Uh, how often should a rosewood neck be oiled? Oh, a rosewood fingerboard? A couple times a year, at least. Um, you can you can give it a light oiling every time you change the strings, really. Just wipe off the excess. You can't. You really can't overdo it, because the wood only absorbs so much oil. Yeah. You know, the fingerboard. So um, I use a product called Guitar Honey, but there's all kinds of different oils and products you can use to oil uh, unfinished fingerboards. Mm-hmm. Uh, do I need to tune to oil my tuning machines or other parts? Usually, no. Those are Those are all usually, a lot of them are sealed and they have oil, in, you know, packed in there like grease, like a, like, grease packed in there um some of them have like clusens actually have a little tiny hole in the back for oil oh really yeah and you can oil them um most people never do so yeah and you get away with that because they they really don't need to be oiled but you you can you can oil them um what other parts need to be oiled uh i will when i'm working on a guitar that's kind of been neglected and that's rusty and and parts are seized up, you know, I'll clean them up and then I'll oil them. But, um, 
I typically don't a guitar that's sitting on my bench. I'm not going to oil all the like saddle screws and everything. Hmm. It depends on the player. Some people really sweat a lot and don't take as good a care of their guitars. I mean, everybody's different. Some people like wipe their guitar down with a cloth diaper after just after looking at it. You know. Wow. I mean, there's it's all over the map. I mean, some right. people, right? You never know. Uh, um, but it just depends on on if things are getting if things are getting rusty or corroded or uh, I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't hurt to just use a tiny little drop of oil just as preventative maintenance on any metal to metal screw. So intonation screws on a electric guitar. Um, saddle height adjustment screws. So what know. what kind of oil would you use? Just a light oil, like a like three in one or like a sewing machine oil. Mm, okay. Yeah. Cool. Just just a tiny bit. There's no reason to overdo this. <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. Eric, I've never needed to copper shield pickups or other control. Oh, sorry. Or control cavities, but many do. Some say it affects tone. What are the tonal effects? What about the shielding paint? Thanks. That's from Doug in Virginia. Thanks, Doug. Uh, the tonal effect is minimal. Very minimal. Uh, what happens is it there's a capacitance effect. Um, but it's so minimal. I, I really... I really hesitate to say that it's something you're going to notice because I I don't think I don't think it's 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 a big deal. It is a minimal difference. Um but what happens it's a it's a capacitive effect and um high frequencies tend to get bled off to ground faster than base frequencies. So if there's any effect at all, it would be uh less High end, less treble. Hmm. But I seriously doubt that you're going to notice anything like that because, um, I mean, if you think about the proximity of the shield to the signal in a instrument cable, mm-hmm. I mean, that has a capacitive capacitance effect too. That's why expensive cables are, if you buy a really nice quality uh instrument cable it'll it'll be engineered in such a way that it it's more transparent and it lets more highs through there's less capacitance in those huh. yeah uh and the difference between the paint and the copper stuff i don't know i really do, i i really don't shield like the guitars i make i don't fully shield them and it's not ever anything I recommend to a customer unless that's what they want. Like, if they insist on shielding, then I'll absolutely do it. But it's it can help extra hum, but most of that hum, like a, in a single-coil guitar, most of that hum is coming from your pickups. So shielding the cavity doesn't really... I mean, it helps a little bit, but it's not much. Hmm. And the mistake most people make is they'll shield something and then they don't ground everything. And so you actually end up making the hum worse. Wow. Or you end up, because a lot of those cavities are pretty tight quarters, you end up, if a pot rotates just a little bit, all of a sudden one of those lugs is hitting the shield mm. and then it shorts out. Mm-hmm. So it can be problematic. Thanks, Doug. Hello, Eric and Mel. I got hooked on the fret files from listening to the v- truth about vintage amps. I remembered the, what it was. What it oh, was. does he say TAVA? Yeah, he says TAVA. Uh, with Jason and Skip. Great podcast and keep up the great content. I had a question that may be good for a Q&A. I have a 70s Ovation acoustic slash electric that has developed a buzz because the black plastic trim ring around the sound hole has become partially unglued near the tail of the fretboard. Hmm. Wondering if I can inject some sort of adhesive? Want to keep it as original as possible. Do you have any suggestions? Thanks. That's from Dusty from Hopedale, Massachusetts. 
You bet. Thanks, Dusty. Uh, yeah, I would use, um, I would use double-sided tape to to stick that back down. Wow. Yeah, a, a really, you know, you get that really thin, very strong, three M double-sided tape. I think it's it's like the same kind that they use for the back of, you know, back of pit guards. And, mm-hmm. So that's what I would use. Cool. If you wanted to get really crazy, you could squirt super glue in there, but there's there's just no room for error there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So. Right. Double sided adhesive. That's what I would recommend. Cool. And now Melissa's got her phone out. Now we're gonna do. Uh, I'm gonna read some, some uh, Instagram, Instagram questions. Instagram questions. Now I posted a little poll thing, and I got let's see seven responses and then two emails, but. I deleted six responses that were all spam. It wow. was all like, you just want a free iPhone. Really? Yeah. Can you believe that? I was wow. really mad about it earlier today. It was dumb. Interesting. Anyway, let's read some questions uh, from Crash. Another one from Crash. What new tools or equipment have you purchased during the shutdown? Oh. Have I purchased any? I don't I've think so. I've purchased supplies. Yeah. We've kind of reined in our spending a little. Times are uncertain. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. (laughs) I need to order pickup parts. I need to order Alnico magnets and uh, bobbin material and pickup covers. Um, I don't think I've bought any. I don't think I've bought any. I need to buy gloves and masks and all the things that are no longer available. Yeah, good luck. So I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. My paint respirator is getting pretty close to the end of its useful life, and I'm concerned about that. I don't know what I'm going to do. You can use mine. To lacquer. Is it a good one, or is it one of those Harbor Freight? It's a Harbor Freight, but it's it's better than nothing. Man. It's better than clogged filters. Yeah. Uh, No, I don't think I've ordered, I don't think I've bought anything really, didn't, haven't I? Here's what I've ordered. While we've been in lockdown, I ordered some pedal cars. Yeah, <laughs> yes. for my children. They're uh, they're almost done with this year's uh, school curriculum. We homeschool our kids. They're almost done, and so I thought, as a prize for completing school, they're each going to get a little pedal car that I ordered off of uh, Overstock.com. It's like a little uh, go kart. It's, it's like, like a little, little go kart, but it has. Pedals. pedals and a chain and it's and they'll they'll it's ride cool. them around the yard yeah here's what i've bought uh when everybody else was panic buying toilet paper i panic bought seeds good for you i bought enough seeds to last us until the rest till the end of time that's good i like that yeah so no crash we haven't really been buying tools yeah not much uh from gibbs 66 some strings on my Telecaster buzz when strummed open. What should I do? Hmm. You may have, um, you may have a little bit too much back bow in the neck, so you might have to loosen the truss rod, right? You might have slots that are cut too deep in the nut, and in that case, you're going to need a new nut. It could be bad strings. I mean, that's always my first, you know. Mm-hmm. If if I could see it, if if I had it in front of me, I could tell you exactly what. But diagnosing it over a podcast like this is, I just have to I have to grasp at straws. I have to guess at what it could be. Right. So these are things that are possible. It could be bad strings, but more likely it's either um, the truss rod is too tight, or uh, you've got the the nut slots are cut too deep, so you need a new nut. There you go. Uh, from Eric, this is one of my customers, and I wish I could pronounce his last name. C-U? Sue? S-I-U. It's from Eric Sue. Sue. Uh, Eric, have you ever seen the practice of putting a snake rattle remnant inside a guitar? Yes, I have. <laughs> what does that do? Well, I don't remember what the guy said it did. I think it was just a uh, some kind of like, you know, hoodoo, voodoo, mojo anti-curse <laughs> yeah uh thing but um if i remember right he said he, this guy kept a rattle snake rattle in his guitar and i think he said that it 
it helped regulate the humidity Weird. as well. But I, uh, that's not something I recommend. We live in rattlesnake country. Maybe we should go hunting. No, thanks. Yeah. Uh, from Nine Crafted, what is the difference between Filtertron pickups and TV Jones pickups? Well, Filtertrons uh, are a, that's a Gretsch uh, pickup model, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. TV Jones makes um, basically reproductions of those. But uh, Filtertron pickups are basically Gretsch's... Um, a version of a humbucker, right? So I think they were designed uh, for Chet Atkins, but um yeah, I it, it it they came out about the same time as Gibson humbuckers, I think, and so it's, you know, they're they're kind of they're lower output than Gibson humbuckers and they're brighter usually than a than a Gibson humbucker, but um and then TV Jones makes all kinds of pickups one of which being a, a filtertron style pickup that i think he, i think he just calls it the classic huh. tv jones classic you know so so there you go cool uh from osr glop can you explain the process of wood since it is a tree till it is ready to use in guitar building yeah, well, it has to be seasoned, you know. They have It has to be dried. So you can't just cut down a tree and then immediately make a guitar out of it. It has to be properly dried and seasoned. And, uh, they, you know, somebody once said this to me. They, they, were, they were like breaking in a new guitar. And they said, this guitar still thinks it's a tree. I said, what, what do you mean? He said, well, it's not resonating right yet it's not used to being a guitar this this is a new situation for every little molecule of this guitar every, you know it's it hasn't been a cohesive unit it hasn't been a guitar it hasn't vibrated like this for very long and you know it's going to open up the more i play it and i said well yeah that's a good way to describe it so he said this guitar this guitar still thinks it's a tree it needs, it needs to uh, get used to being a guitar cool uh, from Gomar Fuzz, is it really worth restoring the finish on a six a seventy six P base? I just inserted the word "really." Is it worth restoring the finish on a seventy six P base? The finish is in really bad shape. Peel City. What do you think? Hmm. I don't know. I'd want to see pictures of it. it. Is it the original finish and it's mostly intact, or is it a refinish that's peeled off, or is it? Has it just been completely, almost completely stripped? I'd want to see it. If it's, if it's more than, you know, 50% there and it's the original finish, I would tend to say leave it. But it could certainly be, it could certainly be refinished. I mean, it just depends on how you feel about it. Um, 76, it's, I mean, that's a vintage guitar. It's not f from the super valuable era of guitars, but, yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, it's it's sure it, it's it's worth it if it's worth it to you. I you know if you if you want a judgment call on it, you could send me an email with a picture of it, and I could tell you what I think after I see it. Cool. This one's from my dad. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. What steps should I take to preserve an inexpensive but personally priceless guitar? And he sent me an email following up on that. It says. I can only type three lines in the box. I wanted to ask the best way to preserve his dad's Supro. It's a 1958 rhythm tone. Hmm. That's a guitar that I restored. Mm hmm Recently. Yeah. Or has it been a few years? It seems like it has. I don't know how long it's been. Yeah, a couple of years. Um, well, the good news is uh, that he lives two blocks away from me. So, uh, you know, all he needs to do is, is bring it over here and I'll, uh, go over it. The bad but, news is we're quarantined for the next 18 right. years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, if just, just treat it like any other guitar, I would say, you know, if I'm answering this question just generally, um, 
the right way to preserve any guitar is to keep it from getting too hot or too cold. Don't let it get too wet or too dry. Um, regular maintenance, like oiling rosewood fingerboards and uh, giving a giving it a good wipe down just in general. Making sure that parts aren't corroding. Keep up on the string changes. Uh, some people, if they've got really valuable guitars, it's not a not a bad idea to keep them in the case. You know, especially with a with a case humidifier, especially mm-hmm. if it's an acoustic instrument, right? But um, most guitars uh, over the years have problem just due to neglect. So keep up on it, and it should be good. Cool. Uh, this one is from Vintage Inspired Pickups, uh, Sebastian. Mm-hmm. Hi, you two. I've been meaning to ask this question anyway, so here we go. Is there a way to somehow measure if two pickups are out of phase? That would be particularly interesting for installing covered humbuckers from different makers into a 335 style guitar. You kind of want to know that you got it right before you start putting the electronics back into the guitar. Thanks a lot. Stay safe and healthy. Cheers from New England. From Sebastian. Yeah, that's... It's hard. It can be a guessing game um, because if you can't see the coil, you don't know, you don't know which direction it was wound. So you, you know, you can, you can, uh, you can measure with a magnet, uh, whether it's a North or South pole, you know, North facing or South facing what, you know, what direction the magnets are oriented but you can't if you can't see the coil it's a it's guesswork and in most pickups you can't see the coil so a little bit of guesswork i have heard this is something that i read in a in in one in one of the many you know obscure guitar maintenance and repair books that i have uh i'm and i may be remembering this incorrectly what what i what i do is install them and see right but uh, I'm remembering in one of these books it said if you have an analog volt ohm meter, which nobody does anymore, right? Except me. I, <laughs> I do have a few of those. Uh, but if you hook up a pickup to an analog voltmeter, one with a needle, right? Mm-hmm. That you can hook up the pickup to the voltmeter, wave a tuning fork over it, and and by observing... Uh, which way the needle dips first, you'll be able to see whether it's in or out of phase with another pickup that does the same or a different thing. Now, this is just something that popped up in my brain, and I may be misremembering it. I don't know. The real answer is, uh, unfortunately, there's not a whole there's there's really not a way to uh, to discern this until you hook them up, which can be. Well, it's supposedly a 50-50 shot, right? But it doesn't ever seem like it, because it seems more to me like I always install them the wrong way first. So I don't know if it's possible, but that does seem to beat the odds, doesn't it? Uh, Thanks, Sebastian. This one is from Alexander. Hi, okay, here's something I would have, I have been thinking about. Wouldn't a slightly overset acoustic neck actually be a good thing if you want the action really low, preserving a fine brake angle at the bridge slash full saddle height? Thanks. No. No, you're overthinking this. I mean, <clears throat> there's optimum, and then either way, from the optimum is uh, is is not ideal, right? So, that's my opinion. It, uh, if you have a good neck angle on an acoustic guitar and mm-hmm. you want the action really low, what do you do? You shave the bridge down? What do you do? Or you uh, the saddle down? Yeah, the, the action on an acoustic guitar is, is set with the saddle. So, hmm. yeah. But... Um, you know, if you like a low action, it should be easy to obtain with still plenty of saddle left 
if the neck angle is good. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that does it for this episode of the Fret Files podcast. Thank you for tuning in and thanks for participating. If you want to submit a question or comment for the show, you can call or text 757 774 8482. Or you can go to my website. That's ericdaw.com. E R I C D A W dot com. Click the contact link. We'll use your question or comment as part of the show. Thanks. Talk to you next time. Good night.